Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I have another guest on the show and I'm talking to Hannah Hickenbotham or usually known as Han who is host of the Full of Beans podcast. Now this is a new podcast which aims to increase awareness and decrease stigma around eating disorders. Han has had personal experience of an eating disorder this being atypical anorexia nervosa and she also had body dysmorphia. In addition to her personal ED experience, Han has an MSc in eating disorders and clinical nutrition. And from this, she's been doing some research and producing a skills-based workshop for pediatric nurses in supporting eating disorder patients. Han is also in the process of producing a binge eating disorder pathway for the East London Eating Disorder Service. So Han is one busy woman and is doing a lot of amazing work. I'm really looking forward to speaking to Han today to hear more about her personal experience because I think particularly atypical anorexia is something that is not talked about nearly enough. And also to hear more about these exciting projects that she's involved in. So let's get to the interview. Hi there, Han. Um, Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. No, thank you for having me. It's really exciting. So could you start off by um, introducing yourself, please? Of course, yeah. So my name's Han and I am the host of the Full of Beans podcast, which is an eating disorders awareness podcast aiming to reduce stigma associated with eating disorders and also increase awareness. And, you know, to have listeners on that share their stories in order for people that are going through eating disorders to feel less alone. But in terms of who I am specifically, so I recently graduated from my master's in eating disorders and clinical nutrition. So I'm currently working as a clinical trial assistant in Cambridge and a big fan of powerlifting. And I've had a massive, really started to enjoy embroidery during lockdown. So they're like my two big hobbies that I like to to talk to people about at the moment. Oh, lovely. That's a a brilliant introduction. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to give like a nice overview of I'm not just about the podcaster. There's more to me. (laughs) Mm, Yeah, no, sure. No, well, thank you for that, you know, comprehensive introductions. I feel like we've got to know you a bit already. So Han, I know that your interest in eating disorders, you know, was initially sort of stimulated by your own experience and Mm. of of eating disorders and also body dysmorphia. Could you tell us a little bit more about your story and your experiences? Yeah. So I was diagnosed with atypical anorexia, I think when I was about 13. But I think it's difficult to say kind of when it started because I was brought up in an environment that was very diet focused. So I think I've always kind of been on a diet. I even remember, you know, when I was little, kind of having diet behaviours. But it was kind of like when I was 13, 14, that I wanted a bit more control over my life because I thought I was an adult now. And yeah, I started to sort of change the way that I was eating. And so I went to CAMS when I was 13. But I think, unfortunately, like I completely get why we have the atypical anorexia diagnosis but for an eating disorder that's very competitive to be told your weight's not low enough 
I didn't really want to listen to what they had to say because I was like well I do have an issue and I know I have an issue but I didn't really feel like I was taken seriously and it was never really explained as to why we were doing particular things so like we do family therapy which for me because they never explained why we were doing family therapy I was like but my family I'm so close to my parents they're literally my best friends I don't understand why we're doing this because it's not an issue but they never explained that actually the family therapy was kind of to support my parents and so we're all on the same page so I think that meant my mum and dad were sort of standoffish as well so I think I probably was with CAMS for about six months and then in the end we just we asked if we could change therapists because I didn't get on with the therapist but that we kind of said right well we'll just go our own way which I do regret now because I think you know 10 years later I've still kind of I was still struggling with those eating disorder thoughts but I we managed okay and you know I got up to a weight that for me felt healthy because even though it was atypical the weight I was at was not a healthy weight for me personally and then like you know I went through my teen years and kind of you know started liking boys and all of that stuff that comes with it and I guess it just it kind of perpetuated through that because I felt like the reason why I didn't have a boyfriend was because of the way that I looked and then I went to uni to Cardiff uni which was four hours away from home which I'm a home bird anyway but I was also quite unwell probably the most unwell at that time and so I I stayed there for six weeks and then I had to come home and I had to drop out of uni which again for you know anorexia is a very competitive you're very motivated all that mattered to me was my education and that's why my you know my health suffered because I was so set on exams so I felt like I'd completely completely just you know let myself down but I never really wanted to go to Cardiff so then a year after that I then went to Warwick which was incredible the best experience such a good uni and I think at Warwick I did make a lot of progression I started powerlifting and made so many friends and so it was more like there was still a lot of eating disorder traits but it was more focused on powerlifting so like I've got to eat protein because I'm going to the gym or I've got to you know I've got to work out because I've got a competition and also like powerlifting weight categorized which meant that before some competitions I'd have to do like significant weight cuts really manipulate my diet around that which was obviously for somebody like with quite strong eating disorder thoughts still was not great. And so I ended up going back to the NHS, I think when I was about 20. And again, they diagnosed me with atypical anorexia. And I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I've sort of got to the point where I was sick of, sick of having an eating disorder, sick of it not quite being good enough still. And so again I went I just was like I'm not doing this I don't want to be here and tried again on my own and you know I managed but it's also it's almost like that quasi recovery where you're living but you're not actually living like everything is still controlled by those thoughts and you know like going out for dinner with friends or going out for drinks it was so challenging because there was just so much anxiety and I think in a way the like the eating disorder mindset I didn't want to not eat anymore I I always couldn't be bothered to not eat I wanted to enjoy food but at the same time I still was struggling with those eating disorder thoughts and it sort of 
fell into anxiety and depression and so around I think it's around this time last year actually I was like really struggling with like social anxiety I was doing my master's but my boyfriend was going to work every day and if I was working part-time in a cafe but if I had a day where I didn't have uni or I didn't have work I'd just be a complete I just didn't know what to do until I'd cry I'd have to ring my boyfriend and obviously that's like you know that's a lot for somebody to have and we were living together at this point so there was a lot of time that I was on my own so I ended up ringing a therapist that did EMDR which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing and it basically like gets to your amygdala and all the like bad memories you have kind of you reprocess them all and changes your mindset about things and so at the time she diagnosed me with a handful of things but like the relevant ones age of anorexia again and body dysmorphia and I think I'd never even considered body dysmorphia as a thing like you don't hear about it very often and why would you question what you see in the mirror or what you see on photos and stuff but I think now that I know that you know potentially some days I still have that it's quite comforting to know that what I see in the mirror is just what my brain has decided I look like rather than what I might actually look like so I did some therapy with her I don't know how many months for for quite a while and then she discharged me and yeah now we're here (laughs) Mm. Oh, well, thank you for sharing your journey. And it sounds like you've had... That's quite you know, long, some... sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, really, really interesting. And are you okay? But can I kind of pick up on a few things from what you've talked about? Yeah. So you said as well that you were sort of brought up in quite a sort of dieting mm. environment. So can you just say perhaps a little bit more about that? Like what, what you mean yes. by that? So, and I don't want, you know, if my mum listens to this back, I don't want her to think this is her fault in the slightest because eating disorders are, you know, multifactorial and stuff. But I think I'd never really known my mum not to be on a diet. And, you know, I've had conversations with her in the past and my grandma was never not on a diet either. So for my mum, she never questioned, should I not be on a diet? It was just, you know, kind of women are on diets. So she'd be on like, I don't know, slim fast or... I don't want to name them to get in trouble, yeah. but you know, the, the typical ones that, you know, people do go on. So to me, like restrictive behaviours were just normal and food rules like, you know, you can't have certain things twice a day or, you know, you can only have certain things at certain times. That was that didn't seem abnormal. It just felt like that was life. And so I think maybe that's I guess that sort of there was already those thoughts there. And then I think, you know, when I was about 13, like I said, when I got diagnosed, the summer before I got diagnosed, it was the best summer of my life. Like I was out with my friends all the time. I was having such a good time, but I did put on a bit of weight and we noticed that. And so then we started to kind of try and change my diet a little bit to get me back to where I was. And that's definitely where it started because like it wasn't just like an internal thought saying you're fat there was external people not saying you're fat but like Mm. recognizing the fact I put on weight and so I was like okay well we'll get that weight shifted then Mm, sure no well thank you for sharing that and I think I think it just shows doesn't it I think you know so many of us are impacted by diet culture aren't we like we Mm. live in this kind of world where we're given all these messages all the time where Mm. you know told that we need to be sort of smaller for whatever reason and I think as well like 
like you're saying in a way like real compassion to parents I think and Mm. because everyone's sort of doing the best they can and often carrying these messages without awareness just become what's becomes normal yeah Yeah. and me and my mum were talking about that the other day because I think she often does blame herself but I said to her you know I hope that because it's not her fault in the slightest it is society but hopefully by maybe this sounds wrong but her generation experiencing that now my generation is saying "Uh uh-uh no no way are we following those rules like we know they don't work maybe they're like they've trialed it tested it and we're now saying no I I don't want to hate myself that much you know and I now know that when I have children I don't want my children to it's kind of like I'm stopping the train here I don't want my children to feel the way that I did about my body yeah no sounds so helpful and and really so valuable I think you can have those open conversations with your mom and you know that's that's really really positive and could you tell us a bit more as well about just for anyone that's listening who doesn't understand what atypical anorexia is could you just explain a bit more about that course so basically atypical anorexia there's like three main sort of characteristics to be diagnosed with anorexia nervosa and they're sort of like you know maybe possibly not being aware of the situation or you having like an undue influence of yourself so really thinking your value comes from your weight or shape and restricting your food so that you lose weight but then one of them is that you have a BMI like a, a low BMI and my BMI wasn't that low. And I think there's quite a lot of controversial opinions around that because a lot of people now think that in order to have anorexia, you need to be emaciated. And it's not the case, you know, such a small percentage of people actually are emaciated, which I think then it creates a lot of confusion for healthcare professionals. If they're not eating sort of trained, somebody presents with an eating disorder, they kind of think, well, you're not, you don't low, low enough. Uh, way low enough sorry but yeah that's basically what it is Mm, okay no thank you and I guess as well just for people listening you know I'm guessing when you're suffering from atypical anorexia you would have had you know you would have been like really controlling your eating you would have been really preoccupied with food you would have had all those starvation symptoms yeah is that right yeah yeah and I think that's like that's the most sort of I can't think of the word but it's not annoying but that sort of thing because a lot of the time you know I was significantly restricting what I was eating you know doing lots of exercise really avoiding social situations and like you say completely preoccupied like the only thing on my mind was how am I going to avoid breakfast how am I going to avoid lunch like you know really taking I taking control of cooking and I think that was really difficult for my parents to get their head around because initially they're like wow our daughter wants to cook all the time like that takes the weight off our shoulders but then you know oh why is she cooking and then obviously they noticed that my meals were a lot smaller and stuff like that but I think that is where it's difficult because especially then when you go on to recovery because people have this idea that eating disorders are weight if you look healthy then they just assume that you're better. And, you know, I had, I remember when I was still like probably my worst, but I was appeared healthy. It was just all going on in my head and people people would be like, oh, it's so good that you're better now. Like, how did you get that into that position? And I just remember sitting there like, I can't tell you, I really want to tell you that I'm really not okay, but you're almost saying that I am okay. Therefore, I don't want to talk about this because it almost allowed me to hide more. But at the same time, because 
people had this idea I felt like I had to get to where their idea was which I think just made the Ethan sort of go on for so much longer than it should have done because I didn't feel like I'd had help and I just wanted to prove people that I actually can do this I can be anorexic which I think is really damaging because if somebody was sat in my brain they would be thinking this girl needs help Sure. I really feel for you. And I think for anyone else that kind of ticks that diagnostic box, because I think it is incredibly, an incredibly lonely and invalidating place to be in, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I must say, like, I'll be honest, before I started doing this podcast, I was so ashamed to use the word atypical. Like, if if I ever spoke to somebody that had an eating disorder and I and they were like, you know, what did you struggle with? I would be so ashamed to say a typical anorexia because you then kind of you assume that people will think, well, you were never that sick then, were you? Like you kind of just which is and but now I've spoken to so many people that have had atypical anorexia and you know, the struggle is just as hard, if not even more so, because you don't get the right support. Yeah, no, sure. Well, I think, and so fantastic that you're speaking about it today, because I think it's probably, I mean, I don't know what the statistics are on atypical anorexia, you might know better than me, but I would think it's probably even more common, you know, yeah, yeah, but people often, I just think, like, don't even realise they sometimes have an eating disorder, it's just become kind of normal. Yeah. And it massively has, like, you know, especially around New Year's, and now that we're coming out of lockdown, I feel like there's such an emphasis on weight and diets and everything. It's normal to, you know, cut out a food group or to be exercising all the time so that you can lose weight for the summer. It's become so normal and it's so dangerous because, like you say, people do just slip under the cracks. And some people can engage in those behaviours next week, be absolutely fine and be back to the normal self. But for other people, they just need that one moment where someone makes a comment and then all of a sudden they're in the rabbit hole of an eating disorder and it's years until they can come back out. Mm, Yeah, so true. And it sounds like for you, Han, like you said, powerlifting has been (laughs) quite a, it's quite a positive part of your life. And has that sort of really helped, I don't know, sort of shift your perspective with recovery and helped you or sort of yes and no? Yeah, I'm sort of on the fence with powerlifting because Yes, it massively helped me. I think just having something to focus on rather than an eating disorder was incredible. I think it really helped me to kind of say I'm not just an eating disorder. And I think that's something to, something I sometimes struggle with. You know, when you said to me at the end, so can you give a description of who you are? I was kind of like, well, who am I? Because I'm not, I don't have an eating disorder and who am I without it? So powerlifting really helped me to like find my identity. And also I made so many friends and it kind of made me think, you know, people don't just want to be friends with me because of the way that I look, because I don't look the way that I used to anymore. And people still really like me. And it gave me loads of confidence because I was like on the exec for the club and I ended up being like the first female president, which was just that really made me feel fantastic. But I think it's like I described at the start, it did shift that all those characteristics that I had when I had an eating disorder into powerlifting, like the perfectionism, having to be the best, being really rigid with training and eating and stuff like that. And like I said, it was weight categorized. So it meant that there was a massive, because I basically throughout my recovery threw away the scales because 
I knew that I was at a healthy weight, but I didn't want to focus on what that weight was because it didn't matter. As long as, you know, my clothes fit and I wasn't, they weren't becoming really baggy, then we were okay. But I had to really track my diet and stuff around competitions to make sure that I was the right weight. And, you know, then you get you go to competitions and there's other girls in your weight category which are, you know, different heights and different shapes. And there's that comparison, not only with, oh, they can lift more than me, but also they look better than me or like better shape than me. So I think it it really did. It kind of transferred the eating disorder into powerlifting. And I know that it's it's very common, surprisingly common in powerlifting for girls to kind of transfer from an eating disorder into powerlifting which I don't know it can be really healthy but also quite negative to then have that obsession with powerlifting. Sure yeah I think it's really helpful actually that you can just be very honest about that because I think it's not uncommon at all I think is it as well that people yeah move from an eating disorder maybe into some stream of fitness yeah where a lot of the sort of yeah, a lot of the eating disorder kind of traits and things can get put then onto mm. the fitness thing, can't they? Maybe yeah. like bodybuilding as well as another one sometimes. Yeah. That's, bit, that's quite common. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And I think as well, it, it's again going back to this whole like normalisation, you know, with like diets being normalised in society. Now, for me, because excessive exercise is probably still something that I struggle with. That's kind of the one element that's left over that I'm still working on. But it's so difficult to explain to people because exercising is it's a really good thing. Like it's so good. You release all your, you know, all the hormones and everything. You feel great. But and so how can I just explain to you that like it's actually having a negative impact on me because I feel amazing and you can see that I'm so bright and bubbly after I've done it. But it's kind of those thoughts beforehand in, you know, the those eating disorder thoughts of, you know, taking control over your head that's not normal for a person to have before they're exercising or after they're exercising. But when I'm exercising, I just seem completely normal. And I've been like recently trying to explain to my mum about sort of the thoughts I still have about exercise. And it's, it's impossible to explain and impossible to understand because she'll say to me, like, do you want to go for a walk? I'd love to go for a walk with you. Like I want to go for a walk with you, but there's still those thoughts in the back of my mind, like, "Hmm." well you know what exercise does for you like it's but I don't want to stop it because exercise is good for you yeah and it's so interesting isn't it and it just shows just in a way it's just such a it's quite a sort of subtle sneaky line isn't it really and what can look on the outside to be quite a healthy relationship with exercise Mm -hmm. sometimes might not be but yeah. like you're saying, it's a lot down to kind of what's going on, isn't it, in your head? Mm-hmm. Like the thoughts that you're having about the exercise, perhaps if it feels a bit compulsive or mm-hmm. you're worried about not doing it or yeah. doing a, a certain amount or, mm. yeah. And I think like that is something that I've become super aware of is that eating disorders are really, really good at sneaking into every element of your life. And so rather than, I think before I would just try and like you know if my eating disorder says one thing I do the opposite I don't necessarily think now that that's the best approach because you know sometimes sometimes that doesn't work but I think it's just being like really aware of the thought and then thinking am I doing this because 
this is actually a like a health like a legitimately healthy thing to be doing or does there feel like there's some compulsion behind that mm. and sometimes you know if I'm doing a workout and all of a sudden I think that I can feel the thoughts taking over I'll just pack it in and go and do something else because it's like it's just as long as I shut that thought down it then does kind of the more and more I do that it will go away but it is just having that awareness because like like you said it's so subtle you just sometimes you could be like no this is just my thought like this is just Hannah thinking it and mm. then other times you know you you can be fully aware that it's not yeah and it sounds like Hannah that you've had to probably do some really quite thorough work on your self-awareness mm-hmm. to yeah to to really kind of pick yeah. apart those subtleties because I guess it could be quite easy in a way to not go there and and just mm-hmm. get a bit swept along with perhaps what yeah. other people are saying or mm. the way you're, the environment might be validating you maybe yeah and I yeah I think but yeah like I said it's so normalized that you can do that but also the state of kind of listening to those thoughts and doing what they say and just carrying on with it that's pretty comfortable because it's not challenging like you know I could just do what it says and then I don't have any repercussions in my head of like you know then the bullying thoughts afterwards but and so I think that's where I was stuck for a long long time was just doing things to keep it easy keep it comfortable but now I know the longer I stay in this comfortable state the longer I'm going to be like you know half there half not still worrying about having cake for my dad's birthday or stuff like that but the more I challenge that and the more you know if it kind of you know if I do make myself feel uncomfortable and have things that are difficult or like have time away from exercise the quicker I'm going to get to a point in life where I'm actually in control fully rather than the eating disorders still having this like grasp over me that I'm semi-aware of but try and ignore so yeah I think having that awareness and really pushing myself even though it feels awful and, you know, just want to cry and say, I don't want to do this anymore. I Mm. think now I know it's the only way forward, really. Mm. So helpful, I think. And it's inspiring to hear that because I'm sure as well, a lot of people listening to this will relate to some of those things you've been saying. Mm. And I think it's just really helpful just to show how you're addressing it and how sometimes it is really, really tough, but you are Mm. kind of making headway, aren't you? And moving edging along the road towards a healthier place with food and with your body yeah definitely I think and I think that is one thing I really try and talk about is that recovery is not easy if it was easy then we'd all be fine after a day but it is probably the hardest thing that you're ever going to do but if you do do it like the other side is you know it it's so worth it but not just for you but for other people around you like you know my boyfriend he's noticed such big differences and I always like to talk about so my dad's pretty much the only meal that he cooks is beans on toast but if he ever made me beans on toast then you know there'd be a lot of a lot of rules around making the beans on toast because I needed it all to be perfect and a few months ago I was having like a glass of prosecco with my mum in the garden and dad was like okay I'm gonna make beans on toast and I was like all right and he made it and he brought it to me and I ate it and he was glowing because 
it was just so easy for him and you know I thought probably he put a few extra beans on and put some butter on <laughs> and everything but that's just so nice that he could be so laid back as well yeah no lovely so that was just a really lovely benefit for, that, for all of you I guess to just yeah. be able to enjoy that food a bit more spontaneously and without having to worry exactly, yeah yeah okay so Han could you tell us a bit more as well about your master's that you yeah, did that sounds really interesting mm. so I did eating disorders and clinical nutrition at UCL and it was a really really broad master's to be honest because the clinical nutrition part was sort of looking at like I guess sort of it wasn't dietetics but that sort of thing so you would look at sort of things like IBS or cancer and the nutrition around that so that gave me like a really broad understanding of nutrition and how different diseases require different sorts of nutrition but then the other half of the master's was eating disorders and so you know we learned a lot about the different types of eating disorders the different treatments that are available and stuff like that and it went into you know we weren't just learning about anorexia but like the whole host of eating disorders and I think the you know the best part was that we literally had like big names in eating disorder research come in to do the lectures which was you know that was really incredible but then for my dissertation I'm very interested in like improving the current services and I think you know that stemmed from my experience it was partly my fault because I was just stubborn but also there does need to be if somebody's maybe not going along with the treatment they sh- that they should be there does need to be like other alternatives so for my master's for my dissertation sorry we looked into the current training that pediatric nurses get for treating people with eating disorders because you know if if somebody comes in with a significantly low BMI they may be just put on a generalized inpatient ward if there's not enough beds on the eating disorders ward but the current training for nurses you know in like their university degree it doesn't really look at eating disorders very much and so I helped to devise like a training program for pediatric nurses so to talk about the different things that that their role they would be responsible for and also the different types of eating disorders because it was quite crazy when we did you know like the interviews with the nurses some of them didn't know that eating disorders were a mental health problem or they didn't know the different types of eating disorders, just, you know, anorexia and that people would be very thin. So we, we really wanted to challenge those stigmas in the training because, you know, if, if you're a nurse or a healthcare assistant, you're going to be providing a lot of care to that patient. And one thing we also wanted to talk about was compensatory behaviours, because obviously if somebody doesn't know why you're going to the toilet all the time or why you want to be standing all the time, if they just kind of don't understand eating disorders you maybe wouldn't understand what impact that that could have on a patient so it was really interesting to kind of I think look at it from a brand new pair of eyes because I obviously you know I'm very interested in eating disorders and so then to talk to somebody that didn't really know anything was like well the the like training is really lacking Mm, sure and it sounds so valuable because I think yeah, it's a real problem, isn't it? I think when someone with an eating disorder goes on to a very general ward and the mm. staff don't have experience, all kinds of things can go very wrong, yeah. can't they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think just that lack of understanding, it it does 
probably make the whole treatment process a lot more difficult for the patient because obviously they'd be they wouldn't be in the inpatient ward for therapy and stuff but it would be very easy like I said before to continue with the behaviors yeah your nurse or health care assistant didn't know about the behaviors that eating disorder patients may like present with Mm, yeah it sounds like a really valuable piece of work and is that going to be sort of taken any further beyond the little kind of study that you did (laughs) well hopefully (laughs) there is talks of it being taken further but it you know it's kind of taking it from that and I think there's a big jump between master's dissertation and publication which I am finding at the moment but yeah hopefully that will be getting published but yeah just there's a lot of work involved obviously but it would be incredible to have a paper published yeah Mm. Yeah, Um, and we've been working further to like because I basically did like the kind of surfing out of what people would want from the training program so I've then been working with the team to actually build the program for the nurses which again that's just like incredible experience to be able to contribute to that so I feel very lucky that my supervisor is incredible I feel very lucky to have had her so yeah Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, no, it sounds really, really interesting. And I've just heard of a few people having done that master's course, actually, because I think mm. I know when I was training, so I can hear my cat meowing in the background. <laughs> um, I know when I was training, that wasn't sort of available back then, actually, mm. we had to like, almost do like a master's in eating disorders. So that's fantastic. That's available now, because I think really much needed. Absolutely. I was such a good course. And if anybody is thinking about doing it, I'd highly recommend it. Really enjoyed mm. it. Okay. So, and can you tell us a bit about the program that you're doing with binge eating or developing for yeah. binge eating? Yeah. Of course. So, basically, this is like following on from my master's, it's with the same team, but they noticed that there was a gap in the treatment of binge eating disorder. And a lot of people, rather than getting treatment for their binge eating disorder we're going to obesity services and obviously you know if somebody is being treated for obesity when they've got binge eating disorder one of them is going to offer restrictive treatment which for somebody with binge eating disorder the last thing you want to do is put them on a restrictive diet it's all about getting that you know the normalized eating and regular eating patterns so basically, it, we've, we've basically just kind of started it, but it's looking, we've been talking to different healthcare professionals, GPs and other services to kind of understand what their understanding is of binge eating disorder, but also what they think is missing. And then talking to other like eating disorder services, what they currently do, so that you know, if we did implement a treatment programme, what we then need to put in place in order for it to be successful for patients so yeah hopefully something will come of that I mean it's been really interesting kind of I mean and I suppose the whole eating disorders awareness week focused on binge eating and I think that definitely showed the lack of understanding for binge eating disorder and I think we really do need to increase the education because I think people just aren't taken seriously unfortunately and if if you have you know you've gained all of that confidence to be able to go to the doctor and say I'm really struggling with binge eating disorder I think I need help please can I get some and then you're referred to you know a dieting scheme I mean the amount of I don't know not shame but just disappointment you must feel when you've had that confidence and something that must be really challenging I think it would be really really difficult 
Sure. Well, no, again, I think it's really positive to hear because I know just the eating disorder service I work in, you know, I think if you have bulimia or binge eating, you still, your, your length of treatment and the input you get is just much less than if you had anorexia. Yeah. I mean, more than anything, it's a resource issue. You know, I think, yeah. I think you know, my colleagues would absolutely recognise binge eating, you know, binge eating is a serious mm. condition. But yeah, yeah, just, but it's still not right, is it? You know, no. we need to be kind of channeling more resources to supporting binge eaters. Yeah. I think it's difficult though, isn't it? I've had this conversation with people before, but, you know, with, with binge eating disorder, it's that 16 week programme of CBT. And then you kind of, go your own way and if you relapse maybe you can go through it again there needs to be you know different pathways I know that you can go on to kind of like individual CBT but if CBT doesn't work there needs to be another alternative but then equally you know personalized eating disorder care is going to cost so much money and for the NHS that's massively underfunded doing the best Mm. that they can with what they've got but it does mean that people fall through the cracks. But, you know, there's, like you say, there's just not the resources there. And it's what we do about that because without, you know, pumping loads of money to train loads of different people that maybe don't even exist, where do you even start? Yeah, no, it's tricky, isn't it? It's a bit overwhelming, but I think it's such a, <laughs> it's such a valid point, I think, as well. That Because obviously I think, you know, cognitive behaviour therapy and those kind of programmes, they do have a lot of value, but they... Yeah. Yeah, they're not for everybody. And I think, you know, you and I know probably as well, a lot of people with binge eating disorder as well. There is often a lot of kind of trauma, you know, unresolved things, that, which CBT isn't always the best therapy to be able to deal with that. Mm. So, yeah. Okay, so it sounds like lots of exciting things in the pipeline for you. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Have you got any other projects as well that you wanted to kind of mention or talk about? So what's kind of missing um, anything out? No, I do have some exciting things happening, which I'm not sure I'm allowed to talk about at the moment, but, you know, they're there and they're making me very excited. So it does feel good, kind of, I don't know, I guess coming from having an eating disorder, I think people go either way, don't they? They either want to forget about it for the rest of their life or they want to kind of do some, make some change. And I think both are equally, you know, Mm. it's whatever's best for you sort of thing but I think it's really nice to be able to use that sort of pain and suffering and put it into things that could be really productive and help other people which yeah that is really good and I keep thinking like oh you know maybe maybe I shouldn't do a job in eating disorders and then I'm like there is just nothing else that I'm this passionate about like I could I could not think of a job that would make me as excited or as interested as learning about eating disorders would so there's no point (laughs) yeah well it sounds like it really is like your passion now isn't it and I mean you know I know myself I think I knew when I was about 23 that this is what I wanted to do yeah and I very much went into it all as the wounded healer but I don't regret it at all (laughs) good that's good to hear (laughs) okay Ham well thank you so much for um, speaking on the podcast thank you Um, for having me and can I just ask you as well where can people find you if they want to listen to the podcast or they want to just find out more about the work you're doing yeah of course so on Instagram that's probably the best place on Twitter as well it's the fob 
podcast so the FOB podcast that's probably the best place I release episodes every week and they're on Spotify Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts so have a listen if you want to leave a review would be fantastic appreciate all the support and yeah so just the podcast okay lovely brilliant well thank you so much for coming on Han and really appreciate you sharing your story and raising awareness as well about atypical anorexia nervosa which I think really needs to be talked about much more and just to hear as well all about the exciting projects you're doing and (laughs) and all the ways that you're kind of giving back it's really wonderful to hear yeah thank you for giving me the opportunity to share my story and you know let everybody know about the full of beans podcast So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. And do go and check out all of Han's details in the show notes. If you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at The Eating Disorder Therapist. And if you're looking for more support in your relationship with food, do go to my website, theeatingdisordertherapist.co.uk and you'll find out more information about my courses and other support that I offer. And I have a Steps to Intuitive Eating course, which is a 10-week course online with email support from me, which is launching on Monday the 12th of April. So if you have a history of disordered eating and you're looking to begin to learn intuitive eating principles, this could be the course for you. So do go and check out my website and that will take you through to the link to find out more. So thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, please do rate and review this episode as it helps the podcast to reach many more people. Thank you. I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. (music) 